My name is Jess Miles and welcome to the Transforming Society podcast. Most of our listeners will be familiar with the term open access, which means making published academic research freely available so anyone can benefit from reading and using it. It's the biggest change to academic publishing to happen in decades. Open access supports and encourages the free exchange of knowledge and resources to widen access, increase diversity and encourage innovation and new ideas. Today, we're speaking to Julia Mortimer, who is Journals Director and Head of Open Access at Bristol University Press. As a mission-led not-for-profit publisher, the Bristol University Press strategy, which Julia has been developing, is to move as much of our research-based publishing to open access as possible. This means it can be put to use in making a difference in supporting social change and social justice, especially around the global social challenges. Our open access programme is part of our commitment to achieve this. As an emerging movement, and one in which university presses in particular have a lot to offer, there are many aspects of open access to negotiate and questions around equity and accessibility. Luckily for us, Julia is here to guide us through. Welcome, Julia. Hi, Jess. Thanks for inviting me. Let's start with a bit of background and context. Why are we seeing this shift to an open access model of publishing now? Okay, so OA is not necessarily new. There's been a desire for open access publishing since the the time when um, publishing moved from print to digital, essentially. Um, But there has been a real push from it more latterly from funders. Um, I'm sure you've heard me talking about it just but you know coalition s and plan s was very fundamental in in driving and speeding up this transition um, because it's you know it's actually saying from the funder point of view that there are mandates to um, people that receive the funding um, they're paying for that funding they shouldn't then be behind paywalls it should be freely open for everybody um, and so they're they're put they've been pushing that behind the scenes um, I think what also is is new more recently is that there's a real focus on equity and inclusion and the open access publishing um, can play a big part um, certainly in the read uh, you know the read side you know the benefits there are obvious but I think we're going to talk a bit later about yeah. how we achieve that on the published side too. And how is it that university presses in particular um, are well placed to support this transition to open access? Well university presses uh, you know are they, they're actually based within the research institutions and they're very close to the academics who produce the research. And, you know, given that the, the, nearly all of us, in fact, I'm sure all of us um, in the university press publishing world um, are mission-led and not-for-profit, uh, it puts us in a very different position to commercial publishers in that we don't have shareholders to generate revenue for. Essentially, we're trying to generate money to publish and we're trying to publish to make a difference. So um, in achieving that aim to make a difference in society, that's going to be greatly assisted by publishing being freely available to read and, and to be used. So I think we're, we're sort of on a par with the, the essential mission of open access. It's, it's how we achieve it, which is a crucial question. Yeah, they seem to link together um, really well. Um, You mentioned just now briefly something called Plan S, um, and that's part of this, I don't quite know how to describe it, but this slightly more formal structure around open access that's bringing all the university presses and everyone else together. 
What and then there's also the UKRI policy that's coming in January 2024 as well. So what are the external policy drivers of open access um, and how are they affecting change? Yes, well Plan Plan S is a is a, the plan that has been um put together by um the organization called Coalition S. And that Coalition S is actually made up of a group of research funders from uh, from across the world, um, primarily, you know, starting in Northern Europe, essentially. And UKRI played a key part in that establishing of Coalition S okay. and Plan S. Um, so different funders within the coalition have different um, mandates, policies about how they want the research that they fund to be um, disseminated and made open access. Um, so the journals policy, and in terms of UKRI, the journals policy came into place in April 2022, and it states that journal articles as outputs of UKRI funding have to be immediately open access, either via a gold route, whereby the author's institution pays, usually with funder money that's been given to them um, in the past through block grants and article article processing charges for the version of records. So that's what you know, that's the gold route to be freely available. Um, and Can I just clarify on the different routes to open access. So if there yeah, are sure. people listening who don't know so much about open access. There's different levels, aren't there? So there's like green, gold yeah. and diamond. Yeah. And I think gold is the one where people yeah. pay a publisher for the publishing service. Exactly. So yeah. that's what the article processing yeah. charge in journals is or a book processing charge for books. Yeah. And that is essentially paying for the publishing service of, of getting that article or that book available and um, doing the work that's needed to get it up to standard Um all the production values of um, work that goes into it, um, that goes into that final version of record. And then green is, is an alternative, which is um, the basically the author's accepted manuscript. So once the publisher is uh, enabled or um, facilitated the peer review process, the, um, the UKRI policy states that the um, researcher should put that um, article at that stage, the author accepted manuscript, into a repository in, mm. which exists within their institution. So Bristol University has its own repository, for example, um, because essentially, you know, the researcher has done that work whilst they've been working at the University of Bristol and it's been funded by um, taxpayers' money through UKRI. So, mm. you know, it's it can sit there and, and that's much more popular, it has to be said, um, to date with arts, humanities and social science publishers okay. who haven't been able to get the funding generated enough for article processing charges in a lot mm. of cases. So that's what's happened with the, um, the route for journals. And for books, the monograph strategy comes into place in 2024, January 2024, so yeah. very close. Yeah. So a lot of the strategy we've been working on has been getting ready for that and ensuring that we can help our authors comply with that policy. And that differs in that um, the green route has a 12-month embargo because there's an acknowledgement from funders that that publishers do need to to sell some copies of their books before there's a, a freely um, mm. available article. But you know, open access funding can also generate a lot of um, 
print sales for a book as well yeah. right now, where we are in time right now. We don't know what will happen in the future. Yeah, so other pu publishers around the world, uh, um, funders around the world all have their own policies as well. Yeah. Um, which are similar to this UKRI one. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. There's all these little bits that go on and, um, yeah, it's somehow... It is complicated. Some, yeah, it's sometimes <laughs> hard to get your head around um, how it all works together and what impact it will have on um, researchers and publishers. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I would say this, but I think it's fair to say that Bristol University Press are doing some exciting things as a not-for-profit press. Um, we've got our Global Social Challenges Journal, and we're doing more read and publish agreements. So can you tell us a little bit about what direction we're going in as a press and why? Yes, of course I can. Um, so as I just sort of touched upon, um, social sciences are not as well funded as STEM, science, technology and medicine. Um, so we're looking at a variety of routes to meet our OA goals. Um, some of our publications undoubtedly will be made open access through the routes that I just described because they they come out of UKRI. Um, funding but we publish authors from all over the world so that's not going to apply to everything um, and I'm very excited about Global Social Challenges Journal. I'm so very excited about Global Social <laughs> Challenges Journal. Yes it's we all fully, are at the press aren't fully, we? a fully open access journal. It's our first fully open access journal and it was an, an initiative set up by the press um, to be a vehicle to publish interdisciplinary work that's aimed at tackling the sustainable development goals and especially the social challenges um, that we face globally. So it's really important for us that that work is available, open access. You know, it would be counterintuitive to, to publish it and then have it behind a paywall. So the challenge then was, well, how do we fund it? You know, we, have, we are self-financing as a press. Um, you know, we don't have the um, deep pockets of some of the American university presses, unfortunately. Um, so we have to make, generate our own revenue. Um, but the university recognised that some initiative like this would need some startup support. So we've had that from the university. Um, and we um, waived all article processing charges in the first year. Mm -hmm. But we realised, you know, so it's been a bit of an experiment in a lot of ways. And we realised that even doing that was, you know, potentially um, still exclusive for some people. You know, have We've got waivers and discounts in place, but, you know, the very process of having to apply for a waiver and, you know, being differentiated mm. in that way, yeah. you know, is is um, can be seen as exclusive, really. Yeah. Um, so we um, what we'd really like to do was so now we've got to pay what you can model rather than sort of separating out um, pay. Some people pay, some people don't it's oh, pay okay. what you can. So that means that if you are funded, you know, in, in um, by a wealthy institution in the global north, um, you might well want to get that funding and then that will help support the journal. And in turn, you know, we can publish um, researchers globally. Um, but the other thing that we're doing is looking at working with um, open access community frameworks and initiatives that a lot of the library consortia are looking at looking into mm -hmm. which is what's now commonly termed diamond open access um has been called platinum in the past but i think yeah. we're, we're settling on diamond now so that's essentially where libraries um 
all put together donations to help fund a journal and to cover its full costs. Right. Um, and so it's a, if you look at it that way, it's like a flipping of um, libraries paying subscription fees. And instead of paying subscription fees, they're paying a fee to support the open access publishing of that journal. Right. And that's sort of mutually beneficial because the libraries want to support open access. The publishers need funding in order to publish the work. So it's, you know, it's seen as a, as a much more um, useful and symbiotic model, really. And it's something that we experimented with on our in our books list as well. And you know, we've been involved in the JISC Open Up um, yeah proposal that we put out to libraries um, through the GIST Consortia. That's with other UK university presses. Mm -hmm. um, and that's resulted in a, a few of our monographs will be able to be published open access as, as a result of that. And then we're, we've been involved with Knowledge Unlatch for a long time, which is essentially a, a sort of library crowdfunding model too. And we're going to be participating in JSTOR's Path to Open. Um, next right. year which again so those are the sort of library diamond funding models um, but we you know we'd also welcome other sources of funding which is something we're going to be investigating more in the future yeah it's also up in the air at the moment isn't there and there's all these pockets of potential money and activity but there's going to need to be more coming through isn't there to make it sustainable Exactly. It's yeah. um it's relatively small scale at the moment and it's yeah. it's gonna take some time before social science publishers can move fully. Yeah. So yeah. it's brilliant that we're so involved though in all the bits that we are at this relatively early stage, I think. So can you tell us a little bit about read and publish as well? <laughs> Yeah, so read and publish is a, a what we're trying to do on the journals front. Um and that's with our other journals, which, you know, we've got a list of 20 journals now, um, which have operated under what's called a hybrid model. You know, they've been subscription, mm -hmm. but they've also accepted gold open access articles. Um, and in order to speed up that transition so that those journals can publish more, um, read and publish means that the institutions um, subscribe to our collection of journals and then their researchers in those institutions can publish um, in our journals. You know, they, they um, put in a, a submission, they get accepted. They can publish gold without any separate APC funding. So it takes any pressure off the author having to worry about that. And also it's really easy for the library to manage. Mm -hmm. um, because, and one of the ways that I think as a, a university press and not-for-profit that we're trying to really um, make it as simple as possible is it's uncapped you know libraries don't have to worry about the number of articles yes lots um, of people do cap them don't they some of the models in, in have been based on you know previous levels of publishing and then so right. they've matched that and then they charge extra on top of that yeah. um, but we're saying well you're giving us the amount of money you know which is pretty fixed fee you know we we want to tier it to make it more affordable for some institutions but it's a simple fixed fee um for a lot of them and then you know it enables that shift so there's more OA publishing um and less behind the paywall and without the cap it means that within institutions they're not having to make choices about who um gets to publish open access and then that's improving equity 
as well. Absolutely. I'm going to ask you about that in the next question. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, actually, Jess. Yeah, that, you know, an early career um, researcher's got just as the same chances of publishing um, open access as somebody who's, um, you know, might count more towards the ref or. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a really important difference, I think. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, equality. Open access is clearly about equality in the sense that it makes research accessible. But I think there is a risk that these emerging OA models might favour wealthier research intensive institutions, might favour Global North over Global South. I'm not sure. Um, and I know at Bristol University Press, achieving equitable open access is a real priority for us. So can you Tell us a little bit about the issues around this in more detail. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I you know, everybody's aware that there are traditional inequities in access to research, um, you know, in the past that, you know, if you're in Africa, you might not be able to um, get access to read something that's in nature or, or in other journals. And, you know, there's a worry that this could be perpetuated through new read and publish deals um, in relation to access to publishing. So, yeah. you know, if you're in a um, very um, wealthy research institution in the global north, you no problem. But otherwise, you know, you've got to, we talked about the problems of maybe having to apply for a waiver or only getting a discount, still not going, being able to afford the rest of the fees. Um, but I do think think there's increasingly a desire for institutions in the global north to help tip that balance back right. um, towards helping global scholars global south scholars to be able to pay costs as well so i think that sort of operates in a way through the diamond model as well where mm. libraries are aware that they're trying to fund it for everybody because they they do have more resource so it's a sort of right. you know making the resource more widely beneficial than just benefiting themselves I guess um, and it's really important to us that our model um, uses waivers and discounts as little as possible in the future oh, right, okay. uh, so diamond, the diamond model is a lot more appealing because it keeps journal costs away from the author completely they don't have to get involved yeah you know, that's the ideal um, and we, you know, I was think we were talking the other day about um, the fact that we've been the first publisher to sign up to the Africa Charter for transformative research collaborations. Yes, this is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a major um, initiative within um, higher education, essentially. You know, to really look at, at what's equitable right from the beginning of research um, collaborations, and it's the starting point for change. And we want to support its principles in whatever way we can through our publishing. Yes, definitely. And we're the first, yeah, I think I might have mentioned, but we were the, we've the very first publisher to have signed up. So we're delighted about that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really important stuff. Um, okay, so for any authors listening out there thinking about publishing open access, what options does Bristol University Press currently offer for both books and journals? Okay, so yeah, um, at the moment we offer both the gold and green options that, that I've been talking about. We're completely compliant with funder mandates. Um, so if, if you are publishing um, your research and your funder 
even if it differs from UK or I policy, you can still come to us and say, I need to be able to do this. And, okay. you know, within a, within every, we will try and meet that requirement in whatever way we can. Okay. Um, but essentially at the moment, it's repository for green um, and article processing charge for, for gold. Um, and then on the books front, um, you know, we're involved in a, a number of book projects and proposals um, whereby we can publish, we start to be able to put books into programmes and, and um, publish them away from the outset. Is that like so, Knowledge Unlatched and the other one you mentioned earlier? Yeah, the yeah. Open Up initiative, Open Up, which yeah. is about um, UK university presses and you know, because of the um, generous donations from librarians, that means that we're able to say, OK, well, there's this book coming up that's really important to be open access. It's about a key global social challenge. Mm -hmm. So we're going to we're going to put, put that one forward for the, for that pot of money. So, you know, we're doing that increasingly. So I think, you know, authors um, have a good chance of being able to be considered for that, even if they don't have the funding. Yeah, it's great to know that there are these other options beyond the APCs. Yeah. Yeah. And we do, um, you know, we obviously have to charge fees for um, the version of record being available because, you know, we've got no other source of, of keeping us going and funding what we do. Um, but we, we try do to do a lot of work on it as well. We, it's Yeah. We really do. Well, yeah. exactly the kind of thing that, that we're talking about now, you know, um, for transforming society, you know, a wonderful blog and, and podcasts and videos that, that we do yeah. to help researchers, you know, get their work um, more widely known. Mm -hmm. And that's partly what I was going to say when if you're considering a publisher, there are a lot of new um, institutionally based um, open access presses who um, can, you know, they do a good job. They can put your work out. You know, if you think about the context in which that work is seen within the publisher, we've got such a wide um, spread of coverage now across the social sciences and your yeah. you know, work gets marketed um, and, you know, discovered much more widely, I think, as a result of yeah, that. Absolutely. And that's why we have to, you know, that's why we have to charge a, a bit more because we, we do all of those added value things um, for every single, you know, book and journal article that we publish. Yeah. So this is my final question, a final point. Um, it's just I always quite like it with these Transforming Society podcasts to leave people with something practical to go away with. Um, so what general advice and guidance would you give to authors and potential authors navigating this new publishing landscape? What are the key things they should be thinking about? Well, I think, you know, from from listening to people speaking when I've met um, a lot of academics out at conferences, there's a wide range of variation in the amount of knowledge that's shared, you know, um, um, in individual institutions and also, you know, what, what you just personally might know about open access. So I think I would recommend if you are based in, in an institution to find out who your OA team are there and talk to them because they're best placed to advise you about you know what you need to do in relation to funder mandates and so on um, right. yeah. in that institution, usually based in a library. And you know, we obviously work closely with those librarians too. Um, check your funder policies, make sure you know what you're supposed to do with your article or book in relation to OA. 
think about your Creative Commons licenses as well. You know, OA work is all published on on under these Creative Commons licenses. And they do vary. I mean, CCBY is the gold standard that publishers like to, um, sorry, funders like to um, you to publish under, but it does mean that there can be less protection from risk sometimes. Um, so we do, for the books in the past, we've sort of recommended um, non-commercial further use of the work um, and, you know, making sure there's full attribution for your work as an author. That's one of the key things. Yeah. Um, and they have talked to us, talked to Bristol yeah. University Press. If you're interested in publishing us with us, we're incredibly flexible. There's one thing I would say. And, you know, we do have our fees and we we have our information about what to do on our website. But we're always happy to sort of try and find different ways of making things work out for you. So do talk to us about the best solutions and what you're aiming to do. You know, we do all sorts of other things like the executive summaries that we put out and and blog posts, which can really help get the message out if OA isn't possible at this point in time, for example. Yeah, that's a very good point. Thank you, Julia. This is such a learning curve for me, um, but I think it's such a fascinating area and I hope one that offers some real opportunities. It's quite exciting. Um, but yeah, thank you for speaking to me today. Oh, you're very welcome. It's um it's open access week coming up soon yes, so you know that's podcast for <laughs> that's that's going to be triggering a lot a lot of more exciting discussions about going forward and there's been so much rapid change in the past yeah. couple of years it's it's all going to keep changing but yeah, i think i'm really excited about where where we're going with it now yeah interestingly the theme of open access week is um communities over commercialization or something so i feel like yeah. As a not-for-profit yeah. university press, we're going to slot in really, really well and hopefully offer something great for people. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a lot of parity there with what we're, we're aiming for. Yeah. Okay, so... Thank as, you. No, pleasure. Thank you. Um, as Julia mentioned, you can find out more about open access at Bristol University Press on our website or get in touch with us. Um, but as a start, the website address is bristoluniversitypress.co.uk forward slash open hyphen access. Thank you. Thanks, Jess. Thanks.